Hello everyone, welcome back to the Founders Club podcast, episode 28. In this episode, I talk with Christopher Lind, host of Learning Tech Talk and founder of Learning Sharks. Unlike many individuals have spent their career in learning and talent development, Christopher is different from all of them. In what way, you may ask yourself. He is a bold and digital first learning and talent development leader that always reported the business function that he served. As a result, he spent his career reimagining the future of learning, but also the future of talent development within industries and within organizations. While going head to head with different kind of business leaders and different organization and being accountable to the outcomes. So please do enjoy this episode and subscribe to the channel. Christopher, welcome. Welcome to the Founders Club podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Looking forward to chatting. Perfect. So let's start with the and warm up. Maybe we already had a good talk before the recording, but uh, let's start with a little bit of uh, self introduction to the audience. Maybe tell who you are and what you do, so they can know what is this podcast going to be about. Sure. Yeah. So who I am and what I do. That's a that's a complicated answer. And <laughs> that I do a lot of I do a lot of different things. But uh, you know, right now I'm I'm leading digital learning for GE Healthcare. But I also run a a live stream slash podcast on learning technology, and I, I do some other work to help support companies and other tech companies know how to navigate this space. So really, regardless of what role you want to talk about, everything has always been surrounded by learning, business, and technology. It's really that combination of the three. Yeah, so I think it's a very interesting combination. And I've been following you mostly because you operate a lot in creating content, but also talking about uh, the education uh, industry and the technology and how those two things come uh, together. So uh, I like to focus on, on this and uh, let's start maybe with the origin story and how do you got into education and talking with sure. technology and how you got into mixing those two elements together because I, I find it interesting since I am also in that kind of space. <laughs> Sure. So I, going way back, right, going way back, I always loved tech. I just always did. I was that nerdy kid who loved computers when computers were new and, and all this stuff. And as a result, people told me you should go into, at the time, I don't remember what it was called, but it was, it was basically software engineering. Everybody said I should go into software engineering. And I thought I would because I thought, hey, why not? You know, that's what people say I'm good at. And I seem to like tech. And I hated it. I hated it because what I found was I didn't really like the actual making technology or the actual building of it. That wasn't really all that exciting to me. It really kind of bored me. But what I found was I was fascinated by how technology was changing the possibilities of what people could do, right? People could, I, I could already see it even way back then. I'm like, wow, Tech is going to allow us to change all the rules of what we know. And I, and I just love talking about that. 
And so I'm in college and, and my professor's like, well, that's not really a job. That's not a job. So if you don't want to code and you kind of like talking and helping other people, like you should teach. Maybe that's what you should do. Just teach. I didn't know. I'm a kid. I'm like, sure, fine. Okay. So that's what I did. I went into teaching. I was a middle school teacher. I taught, I taught math and computers and it was fun, but I didn't really care for the academic system. I'm like, I can't stand this. I don't want to do this anymore. And then I really didn't know what to do because now I didn't fit into the software engineering world. I didn't fit into the teaching world. And I'm like, well, I, I don't know, I guess I'll go into sales because that's what everybody does. But I ended up getting a job that they knew I was a teacher and they saw some of the things I was doing. And so the company actually asked me, hey, could you come help us figure out how to teach our employees and use technology? Because we're way too big of a company to do this in, in you know, just having like one person go work with everybody. And I'm like, ding, I know what I want to do with my life. So I, I quit that job after the project ended. And, and that was really how I got the start. And ever since, that's what I've done. I've just gone from organization to organization to organization, helping people and helping organizations understand how do you develop your people with technology. And it was at the time that you started uh, learning tech or was something that came later on or what was the progression or the, the follow-up? <sighs> You know, for me, it, I don't think learning tech was like a thing. It, nobody really thought of it that way, but I was just always looking at what we were doing in learning and going, uh, we could do that better. And you know how we could do that better? We could use this technology or we could do this. And I wasn't using learning tech. I was just using workplace tech. You know, oh, hey, why don't we use WebEx for things? Why are we not loading things on SharePoint, deploying content digitally? It didn't really have a category. I think probably later in my career, maybe not that later, but I would say as I started moving maybe 10 years ago, I really started focusing more on, hey, instead of cobbling together these random technologies to work, there's actually, and I think that's where the market was starting to grow was people actually started specializing on, hey, what if we designed technology specifically for this purpose? So I would say I kind of was there for the ride as, as technology started focusing specifically on it. Uh, I, I happen to, to talk with a lot of uh, tech founders. <laughs> One of the advices that uh, I asked them, what was that? What will be an advice that you will tell to someone who wants to start a, a tech company? And most of them said, don't do it. Either because, <laughs> either because there is no money, either because the adoption is very slow, either because even though you're passionate about it and if you want to bring a change, it's going to take a lot of uh, time, effort, more than any other industry. How do you, do you find this to be true also in U.S.? Because most of your market, I guess, or people that you speak with are based in U.S., so, so I will say it's starting any sort of business is hard, right? So I, I mean, I think that's just naturally difficult. And I would say it's not for everybody in general. That said, I will say learning and development and tech, it's an exceptionally difficult path to trudge. And, it, and I think so because a lot of the people that gravitated towards learning and development 
corporate learning, even academic learning, they actually didn't like tech. You talk to most of them, they don't like tech. They like working with people. They like doing this stuff. And the thought of tech actually almost feels like it's intruding on what they like to do. So it almost feels like a threat. Now, granted, I don't think it's completely unique. I would say the same is true with a lot of other industries. A good example is medical. Doctors and nurses typically are not tech people and they typically don't like tech because they like being with patients. And so it can be a hard road to kind of trudge into how do you show them that this tech is actually making them better and enabling them better. And I would say the same is true with learning. A lot of learning professionals struggle with it because they feel like, well, this is taking away from what I'm doing, but it's not. And so I think it is fair that, yeah, if, if you want to get into an ed tech startup, you, you've, got, you've got a road ahead of you, to say the least. And you know that. You've been doing it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, it's very challenging. And, you, and what keeps you uh, motivated and keeps you going on, I think it's, it's the passion of actually bringing some change to this industry. Yeah. Even though, let's say, the example of my industry, I did the languages in my bachelor, and then I ended up working for a tech company who was focused on building a software for language learning. And I knew because learning a language when I was in my bachelor was like, wow, so boring and so useless almost. You cannot actually speak the language when you finish. You may know the grammar, you may know uh, you know, uh, the words, the translation, but when you actually had to speak the language that you learn in a university, you'd be mumbling and, <laughs> and embarrassing <Yeah>. yourself. <laughs> and I thought, yeah. okay, that's a problem that in an academic level maybe is not considered too much. And uh, it's not viewed probably to a, a problem, but the point of learning a language is actually you have to speak it, right? And, and I yep. realized that, well, they were not concerned too much about this problem. And there is not much technology beside, you know, the books, the papers, the PDFs that they give you to learn the language, you know, and all this methodology that was kind of obsolete. And I, I saw it like, how is that possible that there is no technology that can actually supplement what teachers are doing? Not actually uh, replace them, but supplement what teachers yep. are doing, empowering them, gives, giving some more technology. And uh, what we see right now in my industry, if you have to take the example right now, it's even before there was this um, resistance to adopt new technology, what we see now, these schools, let's say an example of our customers, language schools, they have to. They have to yep. use more than Zoom. They have to do more than that to give that experience of learning experience to their students if they want to retain them over uh, long term and actually enable them to actually learn the language because now your students cannot come anymore to your physical school. So you have yep. to, you're forced to sadly and, you know, otherwise your business not going to survive. You're forced to use the technology. So, what I find interesting you're doing, you try to demystify, use, help me with a better yeah. word here, that this balance, this two relation between technology and education. And how, how do you usually do that? And how do you try to bring that conversation to decision makers who have to adopt uh, technology either in a company, either in a private educational industry or organization, so on and so forth. 
Well, and I think there's a couple things behind it. One is fundamentally, I would say most people don't really understand how the technology works. And not that you need to know how it works at a, you know, code level. You don't need to know it at that level, but you have to fundamentally understand how this stuff works. And a lot of people don't. And so when it comes to demystifying this stuff, part of this is helping break that down and simplify it for people. Because the problem is when people don't know, they just assume the worst. They just, that innately they assume the worst. So if they don't know what it does, it does it horribly. It's, it's bad, it must be bad. And that's why I don't understand it. And so some of it is saying, no, you know, no, it's, it's actually like this. And this is, and making it feel really simple and, oh, okay, well, I guess that's not so scary. That's not so terrible. And I think the other thing is two things. One, I tend to really break the technology down into what can it do, the capabilities of the technology versus the category it fits into. And, and this, I actually just got off a call before we recorded this, where I was talking to the industry about this, that we need to move away from looking at tech as an LMS or an LXP or a this or that and say, what can it do? That's what we need to be asking. What can it do? Because a lot of tech can do a lot of things outside the typical category. And so once you start breaking it down that way, then what you can also do is help people see, well, what do you do? What are the things you do? And pretty quickly, you start to see that the technology is not replacing you. It's not. It, you, you say, well, this is what I actually do. And this is what I like doing. And, what I, and here's the things I do that I don't like doing. And now you set that aside, the technology, and you start going, well, look, the technology does this. Either that doesn't overlap with what you're doing, or it eliminates the things you don't like doing, which suddenly makes people be like, wow, that's kind of nice. You mean I wouldn't have to do that anymore? Correct, because it would do that for you. And then the other thing you can show is, you know those things you really love doing? Look how the technology would help you do more of that. Yeah. Either, either reach more people, either do it more efficiently, more effectively. When you start to draw those lines, that's what makes people go, I get it. I get it. Like now I'm excited about this instead of looking at it as this kind of distant, far off, scary thing. Yeah, I think, I think it's, that's very interesting. And to add to that, I think as, as industry practitioner, practitioners, we have to also understand what problems we are trying as, yes. as people who are building a software, what problem we're trying to help people who work in education, uh, what problem they have, they have and how we can help with our solution. So I, I think it goes uh, to, to, it starts with that. And then you build the tools around that to enhance, it could be the teacher ability to teach or a school manager to better manage the, the, the teachers and the students and so on and so forth. And, uh, but one, two, one thing I would say to that, that's really interesting about the point you bring up, right? Of focusing on what problem are you trying to solve? That's an exercise that I think a lot of times people think they've done and they don't realize how many things they're doing. They're just doing them because that's what they do. They haven't really thought, well, why am I doing this? Is what I'm doing adding value? Is it something that I could do? They're just... They're going through the motions. And that's actually an intentional almost stop that you have to make to say, 
wait, what am I do? What am I trying to do here? And is the activity that I'm doing adding to that or not? And if it's not, stop doing it. Yeah, exactly. And and we we kind of uh, it just reminded me of uh, our experience when we were in the B two C. We're helping professionals to learn Mandarin at the time faster by using our app. And when we switched to B2B working with schools, we had to reframe, okay, what's the problem that we're now trying to solve and for whom? If before it was professionals, now we have to focus on school managers and the problem that they had is a bit different than what the professional, working professional had at the time. And having those, um, asking those questions and having those answers very, very clear at the beginning. Obviously, it's not clear. You have to talk with the people and that you try to build this technology for. You have to talk over and over and over again to actually go deep, deep yeah. into understanding this point yourself. Otherwise, you'll end up with a product that doesn't do, can do anything, but doesn't do actually anything. And, and talking about problems, we've experienced this uh, changes technical uh, change in the industry. And I guess some, some others emerged. And how, what are the most urgent and pressing problems that you see uh, organizations uh, that have to face right now and how technology is trying to uh, solve those problems in, uh, in what you see in your work nowadays? So there's a couple things. One, and again, this is one, I could probably talk about this for the rest of the afternoon, but I won't. Um, I, I would say one of the big ones is with 2020, everybody, whether it's school systems, companies, everybody who was not seeing this and moving digital already, which was a large majority, going back to our point of a lot of these groups, they, they didn't want to think about tech. They didn't really, they were avoiding tech. All of those people just got hit with the great equalizer, which was COVID. It, right. just, it just came in and knocked everybody out and said, oh, you don't want to do things digitally? Too bad. You don't have a choice. You're going to. So in the short term, what, what I've seen is suddenly everybody was, one, having to kind of rethink what they were doing because they had no choice. We were doing this. Now we have to think about it in this different way. And we'd, we'd never really done that before. And as a result, there was this huge need for people to think about how do we do things digitally? Now, granted, I think that's a question that was long overdue, but it is happening now. So I would say a lot of organizations now are just trying to figure out how do we do the things that we were doing in the digital world? I think where that's opening some risk that... I, again, I just talked about this before this recording was the short term solution is to quick, go find something that can get you to just survive, right? Puts you on life support. We were doing this before and now we're just kind of doing it. It's still probably not that good. In fact, it might be worse than the way we were doing it before, but we can say we did it. The opportunity I think people have now is to say, how do you move past that? Because this whole digital thing's not going away. It was coming like a truck even before 2020, but the truck hit and guess what? It's here now, you can't ignore it. So I think this is where now people need to be focused on and this is a problem everybody's figuring out is how do we do this for the long term? 
and how do we improve the quality? Because now that they've been doing it digitally for a while, the folks that just ran out and found the easiest, quickest, fastest solution to just solve the problem, all the feedback's coming back that this is terrible. This isn't working. It doesn't work. Things right. like that. And so they're like, well, we have to think about how do we do this better? So I would say that's a big piece of it. I think the other one is, you know, how are people thinking beyond just content to your point of learning a language? When you think about learning a language, it's, it's speaking the language. That's why you do it. You don't learn it so that you know how to identify words in a, in a piece of paper. You do it so that you can talk to somebody and communicate with somebody. So how is technology allowing us to do that rather than just learn the grammar and the things like that? And not that those are bad, but how do we use the tech to actually give people opportunity to practice or put things into practice? And then the third one is, I think a lot of people are looking for how do we use technology? How do we figure out what people really need? Like, what are the things they actually need? Yeah, there's a lot. How do we of, identify? Right, there's yeah, a lot of it. tools uh, out there, and and it's not there is no like the Google for education or the Microsoft no. or some big tech company that kind of uh, the the the, the go to player who took over all the market. And I, have you ever explained yourself why is that? I have a theory why is that to some degree, and and I can explain to you. And maybe we can disagree to some level or agree. Yeah, let's. I, I'm curious your thoughts before I answer it. Right. right. So we've been talking with uh, with other people and other um, tech founders about that. And one one element, the major probably element that came is that education. It's very diverse, and one thing it's missing. If you have to compare it with the Facebook, with the Googles, it's about the network effects. So if you think, okay, let's build a platform for learning a, a, I know it could be math or English or science, whatever it is, there is no strong network effects, meaning that more users uh, join the platform. It doesn't matter because I won't get value individually. Whereas on, you know, let's take Facebook, for example, a social media network, more users join the, the platform, more value I get, I get out of it or LinkedIn, right? More people got on it, more value I'll get out of uh, this platform. So I think one, one conclusion we came is like, okay, there is missing strong network effects to allow a platform or a, some kind of technology to take over uh, and be the dominant player or the go-to player that uh, of the industry. How, how is yeah? How have you thought about that? Why education is missing like a big player? Why is it so fragmented? So so there's so the first one I'll just say is this: money is probably the biggest one. Historically, I don't think people have seen learning or education as where the money is. They just didn't. And honestly, people make investments, right? They try and do this where they see the money is. And it hasn't historically been there. It's been, you look at the school systems, there wasn't a ton of money in the school systems. You looked at corporate learning and development functions. That's not where the big budget sat, things like that. And so this idea that let's go create some massive behemoth company around that when there's not as much money that we could make off of it, I think that that has resulted in that. Now, granted, I would say that's changing. 
you look at what's happening in the industry now, companies are realizing that how you develop and train your talent, that's a business competitive edge and can actually make you a better company than your competitors. Well, suddenly now you're seeing all this money start going to learning because it's actually, there's money in the space. That's where now you're starting to see some of these players grow up. I would say the complexity of it definitely does add to why isn't there one player that just does it all? Yeah, that, that's probably largely due to the complexity of it. It's not something that there's just one thing that you can try and do. But, you know, I am seeing, I am seeing companies starting to make that move. They're starting to consume up this stuff um, that, you know, you look at what Microsoft's doing with LinkedIn. Look at what they're doing with LinkedIn and LinkedIn Learning and Microsoft step into the AR and VR space for, for education. This trend is starting to happen. The thing with it though is, and I think what's gonna make it be hard, is the space is changing so fast that these startups are coming up left and right and it's making it harder for the big players to keep up. They just can't keep up because the startups are going faster than they are. Yeah, I uh, I have to add something. I think um, you mentioned VR. Uh, I VR was a lot of hopes in 2017, I think, 18. It didn't took off as expected because I know I, I to me it didn't it didn't clearly solve a specific need or urgent need or problem. And also the I guess that led to a very slow. Um, adoption of this technology because imagine being a school you have to invest a lot of money to buy the headset and those headsets probably if they had just one technical problem then you have to put them off and not use anymore <laughs> and that could and I think that led to to this technology to not be adopted as it was as 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 it was expected to some degree Although going back to to the the money problem, um, there has been a lot of startups who got up in I don't know how much in Silicon Valley, but to just draw an example of uh, China, where I was in Shanghai, and uh, like especially language companies who focused on teaching uh, English, for instance, they got a lot of money. One of the biggest, like just to give you an example, VIP kids, their valuation is just skyrocketing. But still, the technology it's not that, you know, the not that uh, complex or it's not that um, different yeah. than what we can find in uh, like some. Just take a Zoom for instance. So, how much then money influence on? becoming the go-to player. It's definitely a factor in the space. People, companies invest, the, the market goes where the money is. So I think it is a big factor. I think, you know, going to your point of VR, where it's had kind of these ups and downs and things like that is, going back to what we talked about earlier, which was having a clear problem that you're trying to solve, that hasn't been done very well with VR over the years. Yeah, right. So, you know, I think part of the reason we're seeing such a surge in money into that is because suddenly that problem statement is becoming a lot more clear. And so suddenly now people are starting to see, hey, this is really solving some serious problems. And because it's solving some serious problems, even if the money's not there yet, it's going to be. And so everybody's trying to get into it before, before it becomes the big thing. 
Right. <laughs> we will see how this evolution is, but uh, definitely now there is a lot of money who's coming in that direction in the ad tech space. Um, I just want to switch gears and, um, and ask you, how, how do you imagine or how do you see the future of uh, work and learning at work? Because I guess L&D, most of L&D, it's about that. Given the different changes that we are seeing now, especially because people have work, they have to work from home. And that ability to learn from your colleagues is not there anymore because you're not physically in the same office. You have you you working from home most of the time. How how companies see this progressing and which direction it's going? You know, it's it's been interesting to watch and, and similar to some of these other things. This I felt a little bit like the nutty professor before 2020 because I was saying, I've I've been saying for a long this is going to come. Like this is going to come. Technology is going to allow all these rules to be broken. Who's going to, why would we have to force people to go to a certain location? Why would we have to, these rules of you have to do things a certain way, they've been dying for a long time. It's just now everyone knows that, that they're dead. And I think that's really where the future of work is going to kick in is challenging the status quo. The status quo got crushed and now everybody knows it got crushed. And so I think as the set, as we look into what's in the future for us, people are going to have a very different expectation. And I think already people are starting to ask why in everything. So I think as we go into this future of work, you know, we have to just be willing to, and I think going back to what we talked about earlier, the biggest thing is going to be figuring out what are we trying to do and what's the best way to do it and how do we allow flexibility so that we're not limiting things based on people's location or based on what things like that. And I think that's where we're, we're almost going to move into this age where things just need to happen wherever, however, at a, at a pace. The other thing I think we're seeing already is the speed at which things need to move. It just, the expectation is they have to move faster. We can't say, well, we see this problem, but we'll solve it in three years. It's going to be like, no, we need to solve it now, next month. Do you think there is going to be a, a return back to normal? So like people going back to offices or is this a new normal that came here to stay for a long time? Thus, we have to put process and technology in place to cope with it. So I think personally, and, and this is where I see this debate happen all the time. Will people go back to work? Will they work from home forever? I think it's the wrong debate to be having. I think the question will be, we're going to need to rethink what the office even, what's the purpose of the office? What was it there for? Will, are the days of, well, you just have to come to the office to sit in a cube because that's what we do. And spend two hours in Those commuting. are dead, <laughs> right? Right. You got to sit and commute and you got to come here. We don't really have a reason for it, but it's just what we do. Not anymore, because now people are going to say, well, that's stupid and I'm not going to do it. And so I think if we're going to have a go back to work, going back to my point that everybody's going to ask why, they're going to say, why? For what? What is the purpose of me being physically there? And what happens if I can't? And the answer can't be, well, you have to. No, I don't. The answer is going to be, how are you going to accommodate that and so I think we're going to get to this place where will offices still exist? 
Yeah, probably. People will still use them, but they're going to be used for a very different purpose. And they're going to have to be a lot more flexible so that the people who maybe can't make it to the office or aren't able or don't want to, that's fine. They don't have to. And, and you can still have that seamless experience. Yeah, I, I never thought we are, we are going into this direction. Like, let's say in January 2020, I never thought I will be working from home most of the time. I could not even fathom this idea, you know. And then the COVID hit and I was like, okay, I actually quite enjoy working from home, you know, and I just wake up, I do my own stuff. I maybe have breakfast and I just jump on my desk and I start to do my own thing, my emails, my calls. And, and I'm asking myself how in terms of businesses um, are, are going to, to cope with this. And I see a lot of businesses that we work with struggling really struggling like like most of uh, schools we've uh, we're working with they're kind of desperate they're losing uh they're losing students and what used to be their assets like in this case um the school the class and all those um elements they pay money for those assets are now useless because they cannot leverage and say okay we have a very cool facility, very uh, nice uh, environment, good vibes. Now that's anymore, is not anymore available. And I don't see exactly how this can be replaced on a technological level. Although I can see what technology can do is to enhance the learning experience. But most students not only go for the learning experience, they want to meet with other people, they want to mingle with other people, know other people. And I, I, don't, I don't see exactly how will this, will this, um, this change will, in which direction it will go and what will it come up with. Maybe VR will come back yeah. strongly to this. Well, and you know what? And, and again, this is where I think, and the thing about it is, and this is why I think it's always hard to have like one universal answer is that everybody's really different. For me, if I never bumped into anybody in person ever again, I wouldn't care. It wouldn't bother me one bit. I'm not, some people, I, they, they really miss hanging out with people or they really want, I don't. Doesn't bother me one bit. I would be totally fine with it. And I think that's where now technology is saying, hey, that's okay. Whichever you like, you can do it. You can still be part of things. And again, going back to your VR thing, I've spent hours in an Oculus Quest <laughs> hanging out with people, just hanging out in Facebook Horizon and Microsoft Altspace. And it's fine, you know, and I've, I've taken my kids on journeys in places of the world I'll probably never be able to take them in VR because, hey, why not? I can. So I, I think this is where the rules are just being erased. And I think that's the interesting part. Going back to people who have a business related to education and now have to switch and going digital, what are some of the advices you would feel to give them? Because as we were speaking before, most of the people don't have the right technical knowledge to implement or adopt or make the right purchasing decision when, when using a new technology. What's some of the advices you would feel uh, to give to them? So two of the biggest ones, two of the biggest ones are first of all, one, take the time 
to figure out, and it may feel like it's slowing you down, but it will actually make you move faster. Take the time to figure out what are we trying to do? What are we trying to, don't, and don't, don't think about it in terms of, well, we're doing this today and this is how it works today. Just literally step back, erase the slate, pretend you're not doing anything and say, what are we trying to do? And how would we do it if we could do it however we want it? Just get creative. Don't think, well, we used to do it today, so maybe we could do it like that. Nope. Just what are we trying to do and, and how would we do it in, a, in an ideal world? Because that will actually help you navigate the tech much easier because then instead of chasing different platforms or different names and things like that, you'll be actually going into these conversations saying, I want to be able to do this and this and this. Show me how I can do these things. And it actually helps the tech vendors, in my opinion. I feel for tech vendors, half the time you have these conversations and they go, we want a this. And how do, you, how do you explain to people what you can help them do if they don't even understand what they're trying? So I think that first step is probably the most important one. I think the other piece is, I tell people this all the time. And even though I say I'd be fine not saying and seeing anybody in person, I actually spend a lot of time talking to other people, asking them questions, finding out what they're doing. You can network and if you like doing it in person, fine. If you do it digitally, fine. But whatever you do, go out and talk to other people, ask questions, learn from other people. So often people are trying to solve these problems that somebody else already solved. Right. Find out from them how they did it and what they learned. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Oh, that's such a great point. You don't have to reinvent the wheel because <laughs> someone is already working maybe to a similar problem that you tried to, to work. And it's so true, especially in the ad tech uh, world, but not only. Um, going back and last question that I wanted to ask you, what is the impact that you want to have into the ad tech industry? So part of the reason I started learning sharks was I realized I didn't just want to change one company. I wanted to change the industry and ultimately change the world, right? That's when I said, this is what I have to do. I have to change the world in this. And so when I look at this impact, one of the biggest things that I want to do is remove the fear from tech. A lot of the reason there's resistance to change is there's fear of the unknown. And pe when people don't know, they fear it and they don't want to change. And so part of what I'm trying to do is just make it less scary, make it simple, make it understandable, make it tangible so that people can embrace it. Because to me, I look at the why, what problem am I trying to solve with that is companies and schools, they need to develop employees and students. They need to do it. It's an important thing for society. It's important for humankind. And so anything I can do to help that be done to the best ability possible, I, I just feel like, how can you not? How can you not do everything you can for that? So I guess as I look at it, it's like, I hope that people grow, develop, and they do it in amazing ways. And people who are in the industry love doing the work they do because they feel like it connects to something bigger. I don't know. They, that may sound really too pie in the sky, but that's kind of what gets me out of bed in the morning. That's for uh, bold impact. Christopher, <laughs> thank you for uh, joining the Founders Club podcast. No problem. Well, thank you for having me and thanks for the time. <laughs>